welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey. And my name is Hester. After the conversation with the founder, Mikey and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. So today we're going to speak about fintech, fintech in India, because in India, fintech, 95% is male, and it really is time to change that. Today we have with us Aditi, co-founder of SALT. Aditi, you have a super impressive background at some of the large banks like Citibank, Goldman Sachs, after which you jumped into the startup world. You're also featured in the top 25 women leaders in fintech of Asia for the year 2020. And only two years ago, you started your own company, SALT. Welcome to this podcast, and I'm really interested to hear more about you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And I'm so absolutely excited to be talking to you, to be talking about SALT. And you're absolutely right. You know, my background, right? It's as technical as it gets. I've been a trader. I've done cash equities. I've done fixed income. I've been an investor. That's what I did at Goldman. And I've done really technical parts of fintech. And throughout, I think, 10 years of this very hardcore finance and fintech career, while working with some of the smartest women out there, um, I never realized this. I never realized what you just said. And it actually took COVID for me to personally realize how different men and women's journeys were when it came to money. So for example, you know, when there were salary cuts and when there were retrenchments, seeing people I had known my whole life and specifically seeing how women felt so much more powerless in the face of monetary uncertainty. I think that was a bit of a wake up call. And that's when I thought back and I realized, wow, I actually don't remember in 10 years of working, talking to a woman, like a colleague or a friend about what I do with my money, what my insecurities are, what I want for the future, right? And I've known my co-founders, Chetra and Shinjini, for a while. We've worked together in different contexts before. But at the same time, similar things happened in their lives. And I'll sum it up in one sentence. When we were doing our early user research, one of the women we spoke to, she's a young woman, mid-20s, said, oh yeah, the four-digit decisions were my mom and five digits and upwards was dad. And this is Indian rupees, mind you. So four digits is like petty household expenses and anything from buying a washing machine to buying a house is dad. And that very simple characterization summed up what's wrong with an entire industry. So yeah, that's what's all hopes to change. Yeah, that's super cool. And of course, as Epic Angels, we're firm believers in that as well, because that's, of course, what we also see from the investors. So you decided to start SALT. You're offering financial services specifically to women, because the way you just explain it, it sounds so obvious, like, yeah, true. All these products are designed by men, used by men. But hey, hold on, because there is this rise of these power women that earn their own salaries but they've never really been educated how to utilize their money, how to grow their wealth, how to save for their pension plan, et cetera. So in short, I think that's at least my view of it. That's what SALT does. But let's hear from you as well. What is the problem that you're trying to solve with SALT? You said it perfectly. As you said right in the beginning of this recording that Indian fintech is more than 95% male. That's actually a statistic that completely shocked us. Literally throw a stone and you will hit a great app and the entire user base is male. And what that does is that 
financial services already has this intrinsic bias against women. And with time, that keeps growing. So the way everything from the way wealth products are sold, to the way risk disclosures are made, to the way pension plans are treated and sold, to the way credit is underwritten, starts to exclude the female life journey or really any life journey that isn't standard. And that's the problem that SALT is looking to solve. So very simply, we said, okay, we actually spoke to thousands of women. And our first realization was there is no data on women. And that's crazy, right? So we we said, okay, looks like we're going to have to gather the data. And we created this proprietary psychometric, it's actually patent pending, that gave us, of course, a lot of demographic insight into women and their life situations, but most importantly, psychographic insight, the kind of anxiety they face, the role that intuition plays, what their need for precautionary saving is, what risk means for them and how they measure it. And, and realized very simply that it wasn't a product problem per se, it was how products were being presented and packaged for women. So SALT very simply is predicated upon, look, we have created a way to understand your mind, your psychology, your emotions. We then created this initially NLP enabled, and now there's open banking equivalent in India. So something called the passbook, which basically gives you a 360 degree view of a person's bank balance, what they spend on, their kids' school fees, the pet's wet bill, like every single thing there is to know about your life. Do you have dependents? Do you have insurance? Things like that. And now that we truly, truly understand you, because that's what was missing in the case of women, we can now sell financial products to you that makes sense. So we have a saving proposition as digital gold, which is basically just gold sold in a digital form. Gold is the most popular asset class in India. 97% of our transacting users actually start with gold. We have mutual funds, which are a wealth product. We then added on insurance, portfolio management services, and more specialized solutions as we learned more about our customer and her life needs. So you could think of it as a new banking solution, 100% dedicated to understanding finances, least understood customer. I think that's also your USP is what you just said. And based upon this survey, based upon the profile of your customer, you're tailoring the experience to them. How does that work? And how can you scale that? What's that secret there? That's a fantastic question. In fact, how can we scale that is what led us to taking this approach. Because I think for our first thousand users, everything was verbal. And that gave us unparalleled insight into her life. And we were like, how can we scale that? And that's how we created the test. So for example, you do the test and it takes three minutes and it's extremely delightful. It is still actually our most popular product. Everybody does it. It has like a 5X network effect and it just, it's an amazing product. What it does is, let's say, let's take you. Let's say you took the test and it turns out you're a cautious cabbage. Now what a cautious cabbage is, and we've named all of these to be non-intimidating and playful, a cautious cabbage is someone who's very high on financial proactiveness, but also very anxious and keeps second-guessing themselves. They typically have a very high need for precautionary spending. They tend to oversave that you know, fuels anxiety. And we know all of this because of five proprietary seeds that we've identified, which 
we now know through empirical evidence, tell us everything we need to know about a person, how they're going to make financial decisions, how they have made financial decisions in the past. Now that I know this about you, I know that the most important thing is you need information. Someone like you, who's so proactive, needs information. So I can't just tell you, here, buy this or invest in this. I need to show you social proof. I need to show you why this fits your need, all without taking you down the decision paralysis, over-analysis route, right? So it helps me figure out what's the right mutual fund for you. It helps me figure out, you know, if you're someone I should push to saving in digital gold or if you're someone who should just stay in the non-physical asset space, right? And so on and so forth. So every cohort has its unique parameters which result in a unique journey which is more suited to that individual compared to any other journey within the app. And that's what we're able to do. Yes. And as you said, you're a financial platform. You've really tailored the behavioral products, like the quiz, the passbook, the survey, everything that you have on there. The actual product, like the mutual funds, for example, you work together with partners to create a product that actually fits your demographic. Can you tell more about the key partners that you have and the value that they provide for you? So to provide mutual funds in India, you need to be a broker registered with the Securities and Exchange Board. Once you get that license, and it is one of the hardest licenses to get, you can offer mutual funds. In the future, we could even offer equities and such. We're able to offer portfolio management services because of that. So the partner there is the Bombay Stock Exchange. Basically, the stock exchange is the partner. We're a direct broker. We have direct market access. For portfolio management services, we've partnered with four of the top 10 asset management companies in the country. For digital gold, we've partnered with someone called Safe Gold. So India has three large digital gold providers. The providers, the partner's USP there is safekeeping physical custody of the gold. So the interface, the ease, the delight, that's all on us. But know that your gold is behind like gazillion walls and being maintained safely by this partner. For insurance, again, we've partnered with a company called Ditto and we'll be adding more partners in future because in India, insurance is actually a very missold product. So the value of having a human-led journey and that subject matter expertise in the product is immense. And that's what that partner brings to the table. So yeah, these are some of our main partners. You launched only the end of last year. And already, if I hear all the different products that you have going on, it sounds like you're on the market for much longer already. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the traction that you gained since the launch, about your forecast of what you aim to achieve. So first of all, thank you. It it hasn't been easy, but we've managed to assemble a very talented team. And that, in a way, speaks to the speed with which we've been able to go to market with all of these products. Also, within the co-founders, there's a deep mix of regulatory expertise and tech expertise. So obviously, that's helped make things a little bit easier. Um, maybe if I can pause you there, because indeed, we didn't address that in the beginning. You have an amazing team of co-founders. Maybe this is a good moment to introduce them as well. Sure. One of my co-founders, Chaitra Chidanand, is also the co-founder of India's first buy now, pay later company. It's called Simple. Needless to say, she has deep expertise within the tech, fintech ecosystem. And my other co-founder, Shinjini Kumar, was actually a regulator at the Reserve Bank of India, which is like our apex regulator for a really long time. And after that, she's head compliance functions. And most recently, she was head of city's entire retail business in India. The biggest thing that people are afraid of when it comes to India, and I hear this very often from external investors, is 
oh, the regulatory landscape. We hear the regulator keeps changing their mind. That's actually not very true. And it takes the right kind of sustained engagement with the regulators to always be on the right side of regulation. And that's something that Touchwood, thanks to Shinjini, we've always been able to do. Shinjini and I have worked together at Paytm in the past. Paytm got their payments bank license. So we've, we've done this once before where we've innovated within regulatory confines with regulators actually as our friend instead of a foe. So yeah, those are the amazing women I'm blessed to be working with. And the fact that we have these deep connects within the industry, of course, they helped us. So we got our broking license quicker than almost anybody does. We got four of the country's largest asset management companies to be our partners literally on the strength of our resumes, because it's not easy to partner with them. Similarly, for most of the other products, the reason we've been able to launch them so quickly is because we've leveraged our collective backgrounds. And to answer your question on traction. So yeah, we went live end of October last year. We have 170,000 users. More than 80% of them are active. More than Close to 70% are month-on-month repeat users. We see when when we launched Passbook, for example, the average user would make four entries a month telling us about their expenses or savings. That number is now 15. So basically, a user is engaging with us once in every two days. That just doesn't happen with financial services apps. We're close to 4 million in AUM. Our cost of customer acquisition is less than half a dollar. Again, Because we've taken the time to get to know our customer and we know how to target them well, we're a very high loyalty platform. So the longevity of any reward on our platform is close to two months. Again, that's unheard of. People get a reward, they want to cash it out on sold, they keep it for two months. So that's where we are as a platform in terms of, you know, AUM and number of users, transaction funnel. I think we've reached our goals. The next stage of growth for us and the next set of milestones are 100% related to revenue. So again, Indian fintech is a little bit, I like to say, you need to have millions in AUM before you can have hundreds of thousands in revenue. And that's where we find ourselves today. We've set the stage for cross-selling and upselling these various products like insurance and very soon, in fact, credit selectively. I say selectively because in India, the key to doing credit well is to do it selectively. So we've amassed that base. So the next milestone for us is to become by 2025 that 20 million gross revenue company where roughly 40% of that comes from wealth and wealth adjacent products and 15% each comes from insurance and the selective bit of credit that we do and so on and so forth. And I think also this relates to your go-to-market strategy where you're targeting this group, like 50% of the of the country, but and these women that there has not really been a product for them. But at the other hand, they've also might not have been looking for a product because a lot is driven cultural. So what is your go-to-market strategy to obtain that customer segment, to make them aware that you exist? I, I think your question hits the nail right on the head because a lot of people ask us this and that's the key. They haven't been looking. So without naming names, one of our really big partners told us that, oh, you know what? Everyone's sitting and Googling their credit scores. That's an amazing top of the funnel. And we were like, actually, that's not true. Women are not sitting and Googling their credit scores. Women never do that, right? And that is the problem with FinTech and financial services. 
So the way we've done this, whether it's for wealth, whether it's for insurance, is by learning to speak that customer's language. So let me let me give you an example. Our most successful go-to-market strategy has been online advertising and content-driven pushes. Our most high click-through rate ads, and by the way, I, our ads have higher click-through rates than online dating ads. That's how well we've learned to speak this customer's language. Is this ad that's called how much does it cost to be you? And it's a really cute gif of a woman and the different things that you know she's wearing and carrying in her hands and how much it costs to be her. Now, that's not how you expect any financial services company to speak to you. And that ad has 90% click-through rate and 80% onboarding conversion because everyone who sees that ad is like, oh, I want to know what it costs to be me. And so they get onboarded onto the platform. They try Passbook. They love it. They try the money personality test. And we're not here to sell her mutual funds or sell her gold. That's not the feeling she takes away. That's something she comes to on the platform. I'll take gold as an example. We do these very specific campaigns. So in India, you have this month that's really auspicious for buying gold, Mother's Day, occasions like these. And we tie in asset purchases with women's life context because exactly, a woman is not sitting and Googling how to buy mutual funds. A woman knows that she wants financial empowerment and she wants to get there, but she literally doesn't know the search term for that because that's not how she's been conditioned to live her life. And when you show her an ad or a post that literally verbalizes her innermost thoughts, that's how you get that customer. That's how we get that customer. I'm also curious, are men also signing up? Oh, yes. So one of our, uh, we're really proud of this. We go above and beyond in how we target women. Yet 30% of our users are organically men because they just love the product. Our customers are very vocal. I, I joke that our customers are like Taylor Swift fans. They're really vocal and they write paragraphs and paragraphs. And I remember a while back in past book, we were miscategorizing certain expenses as beauty because the way the model works is the more data it gets on a certain category, that category becomes more likely. So eating out, um, entertainment, beauty works. And so a few male search terms probably went into beauty and we got paragraphs and paragraphs of, <laughs> hey, you know, do you want to like maybe find, and, and, and it's great, right? When your customers love you so much that they're writing you like a paragraph of, hey, maybe you want to tweak your model. So yes, we have men on our platform. Funny, that's good to hear. And what do you see as the main risks? In terms of risks, look, being in financial services, regulatory is always going to be that risk. Something could change tomorrow. The only way to constantly mitigate that risk is to be in constant dialogue with regulators. So for everything from the way we've set up our entity structure to the licenses we go for, to keeping certain things like, for example, digital gold and mutual funds and different entities, for a company as young as us, we are insanely careful. And if you didn't know this market, you would almost accuse us of being too careful. But yeah, I mean, that is the biggest risk to any financial services business. And it's something that's always top of mind for us. By way of competition, I mean, it's both, it's happy and it's sad that there is none, the space, nobody's been able to crack it. People have, uh, some of our angel investors and their companies have spent 
tens of millions of dollars in trying to get women credit card users and so on and so forth and just failed miserably and given up. I think it's ours for the taking. Hey, now let's shift the conversation a little bit to India. For many of us who are listening right now, we might not know that much about India. I think the thing we all know is that it has a huge population, 1.4 billion people. Yes. What we've also been seeing is that India experienced this rise in the digital adoption. And I also read some stats that the Indian fintech market is predicted to generate over 200 billion in revenue by 2030. It's 50 billion today. So that's 4X in the next couple of years. But maybe you can explain us a little bit more. What is that opportunity and and why is SALT going to capture that market, that opportunity? So, yes, that is a great segue into what I wanted to talk about in that, yes, India has a huge population. And I think the size of the fintech market, because it captures everything from lending to, you know, below poverty line products to ultra H&I products. I think for SALT, the focus from the beginning very clearly has been, let's start with focusing on the top one third of the population. Very simply, that's the population we understand best. It's the English speaking, social media forming, of of social media using, smartphone savvy population. It is also the population that will pay for products and services more easily compared to the rest, very obviously. Now, the great thing about the Indian market is infrastructure is solid. So identity infrastructure, for example, the way in Singapore, it's effortless. Singapore does everything for you. India, for a population of its size, has managed to replicate that with Aadhaar. And that's amazing. Any payments related infrastructure is super easy. So if I want to buy mutual funds or if I want to set up a systematic investment plan, the rails are flawless. Really, the challenge in Indian fintech and consumer fintech is getting that right customer. Some of the biggest companies to come out of India, companies like Cred, their entire business model is predicated on, we know how to find that high quality customer and like cordon them off for everyone else um, to come and partner with us for. And in essence, by targeting women who are inherently the highest quality customers, they're the most loyal, lowest churn, you never see like, you know, fraud in Indian fintech is a huge thing. I'm just saying you don't see women doing that. What we've essentially been able to do is replicate the same thing. So what took someone else hundreds of millions of dollars to do across the population segment just by focusing on women in one year, we've been able to do something to that tune where our customer profile is 20x the average order value of wealth, of insurance, of literally any other product in the market. So very simply, the reason why SALT will succeed, one, our focus on our customer is unparalleled. And of course, like all the stats that I've given you on the low CAC and the ads, that's all one side. But I think being women, we've still never taken this for granted. So we come at this every single day with the same level of humility with which we started it. Nobody has the kind of customer obsession that we do. Nobody's taken time and effort to understand their customer the way we have. Second is, as I said, financial services in India is, is to a large extent predicated on how well you can work with regulators. And that's always been our strong suit. So these two reasons, I think, are why I'm pretty confident SALT as a company is going to end up solving the problem we set out to solve. Love that. Uh, let's talk about your rounds. You're currently raising $3 million for pre-series A. And you already concluded $1 million and then currently a million and then another million by the end of the year. What is the milestone that this funding will help you to achieve? 
So as I said, you know, we've set the groundwork in terms of traction and product and funnel. So the milestone that the next million will help us to achieve is per transaction profitability. To break it down very simply, the first key milestone for us was per transaction profitability by the middle of 2024, which means we're no longer losing money on transactions or key personnel, and it's just peripheral payroll. So CAC and everything else gets covered. That's what the first million helps us achieve. And if we were to get the next million, which means we were to complete the 3 million that we set out to raise this year, of which 1 million, as you correctly said, we've already raised in February, that would actually take us very close to that point of profitability that we aim to hit by the end of 2025. It would almost take us to, I think, two quarters shy of that. We've always been a very low burn company for a company that's created so many products. We've always had, like our burn's always been less than, you know, 100,000 a month because we market very smartly. We don't waste money there. We hire amazing people. In terms of runway, it takes us to those very important milestones. And uh, can you share a bit more about the profile of your current investors? Of course. Our seed round, which happened in 2021 when we set up the company, was led by Global Founders Capital. And an Indian VC by the name of 314 also participated in the round. And then the rest of the round was basically smaller venture firms and largely angels, because as I said, between my co-founders and I, we have a lot of, you know, well-wishers and strategics within the industry. So that was the price round. That was two and a half million at a post-money valuation of 12 million. Earlier this year, we knew that with the venture environment, how it is, it isn't the smartest thing to go out and raise VC money right now. So we made a plan to raise one plus one plus one. So the first 1 million that we closed in Feb was completely India-based angels and strategics. So think the group CEO of the largest uh, portfolio management services provider, group CEO of Paytm, and, and a lot of other just really strategic people that we wanted on our cap table. The second 1 million is also completely going to be just angels and strategics. And then the last 1 million that we hope to close by the end of the year should ideally be a priced round that adds as qualified financing for the two 1 million notes. Any signals on when you expect to raise your Series A? So if we are able to hit per transaction profitability by the middle of 2024, or even if we're on run rate to do that by end of Q1, I think that's when Series A can realistically happen. The good thing about Indian fintech now compared to five years back is five years back, we would have actually been penalized for not spending money like crazy on top of the funnel acquisition. The industry now values good funnels and low CAC. So yeah, that's where we're hoping to be. Great. And as an investor, you're always looking into exit scenarios. What would you say are exit scenarios for investors in salt? So for us, we've always set our sights on, as ambitious as this sounds, a 2027 IPO. But we have in the past year gotten a lot of, I want to say, acquisition interest, primarily from a mix of large fintechs, who, because a lot of fintechs in India have spent I think 10x of the total money we've raised trying to break into the women as customers of financial services segment to no avail. And we've also had acquisition interest from old school financial services who are just really in awe of the whole psychometric and the customized investing journeys that we're able to build. It's too early in our life to consider that. Like there's a lot more we want to do. But yeah, potentially something like that could also be 
the right home. Love it. I mean, and of course, the mission is so aligned with the mission of Epic Angels, getting more women educated about finance, whether it's about your pension fund, whether it's about angel investing. And so I can clearly see the alignment here between the SALT and Epic Angels. Thank you for showing us the world of SALT and sharing all the information. I'm excited for this investment. Thank you so much. It's, it's always lovely talking to you. And yes, I'm, I'm really excited. It's so nice to say this to a room full of women. Yes. So stay tuned and we will continue our podcast with Hester and one of our Epic Angel investors, Tasneen, to hear more about why we're interested in investing in salts. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about this startup. And please remember, we're not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. Today we have with us Tasneen Kadiat. Tasneen is one of our most seasoned investors in the fintech space. As the APEC head for fraud detection and prevention company Riskified, she is responsible for their sales and partnership in this region. And also she has a PL responsibility, so she knows what it's like to run a business. Originally from India and with experience building fintech companies from the ground up across both emerging markets as well as in greater China and in the US, we are very keen to hear Tasneen's view on SALT and the opportunities that she sees as an experienced investor. Welcome, Tasneen. Thanks, Hester. It's great to be back on the podcast. Yeah, likewise. Hey, so what is it that excites you about SALT? Yeah. I mean, like you said before, this is, I think, the fourth or fifth investment that I'm making with Epic Angel. So it's been a journey with you guys, which I've really enjoyed. And there are always a few things I consider when investing in a startup. So one is the solidity of the business model. Does it address a bit pain point? Is there a viable revenue model? Has it achieved some level of traction? Is there a path to profitability? So the business aspect is obviously very, very important. Secondly, the founding team, the passion, the conviction, the ability, the resume, all of that is hugely important. And thirdly, as investors, we are always looking to what the path to exit is, right? Is the business attractive enough in the medium to long term to a buyer or does it have the potential for an IPO? So in my opinion, SALT checks all of these boxes for me, but in particular, the first one, the problem statement of addressing the financial needs of professional women in a market where their needs are often overlooked is fully resonant with me. I'm from India and just last year, India's white collar sector, which is sort of that top 30% that Aditi was saying she's focused on through her company, has seen a 35% spike in job openings for women. So there is a whole segment out there making money, but not very knowledgeable about how to make that money work for them. So that whole problem statement is really resonant. I think there is a segment out there that is completely unaddressed and SALT is hyper-focused on that. You hit the nail on the head. It is amazing how women are entering the market with more money. Also, women are expected to control about 30 trillion US dollars in wealth in this decade alone. And still, the products that we see, even from the disruptors, are mostly focused on men. So I'm totally with you on this one. What do you think about the team? What is your view, given your experience in this space? Yeah, I've known Aditi uh, since the NAM days. We worked together while I was at Visa, actually. So really stellar person. And she's got a lot of great experience in this area. 
I've also read the resumes of the other two founders and it's really, really impressive, right? One already has a startup scale up large company under a belt and the other has the really, really important regulatory experience. I mean, I, we can't dial down the importance of that in the Indian market. So, and obviously I love that all of the top leadership, they're all women and that is sort of a mandate for us at Epic Angels, but it's also a personal interest of mine. You don't really see too many startups or too many companies that are founded by women teams. So that's really, really exciting. And that coupled with the business model just makes a difference for me personally. Yeah, it sounds like an unfair advantage at eh, their team. Also what Aditi said that based on their resumes, they were able to close partnerships and therefore launch so quickly. And as they say in the Lean Startup Method, right? It's not about the cost, it's about the speed. So this has a train effect, which really works in their advantage. Michael, yeah. what, what, what do you think? No, I think indeed it's that speed for me. You know, building a fintech is, is pretty hard. I mean, the good part is you can work with partnerships, but you need to obtain those partnerships. And you need to be able to work with them that they are willing to tailor their products to the needs for your customers specifically, even though the foundation, of course, is going to be the same of those partners. It's that top layer that they're adjusting and, and therefore actually redesigning some of their products as well to make it more attractive for women. And I think that that's really impressive how fast they've been able to do that with the type of products they already offer and the pipeline of products that's still to come. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mike. When I was reviewing the salt information, it reminded me, I started my career with one of the largest consumer goods companies in the world. And this reminds me of the time when large consumer brands started marketing to women back in the day when they realized suddenly that household spending was controlled and decided by women. And it wasn't just about having images of women's and women and ads. It was really about understanding them and speaking in their language. And that was a game changer for consumer brands. And it shocks me to this day that that psychology has not been applied broadly enough to finance and fintech for women. And so what SALT is doing is really unique in that sense. They really understand women and their psychology and needs. They understand how products need to be presented and packaged for women. And I love how they speak in the language of women. Like We don't want it to be dry. We want it to be interesting. We want them to tell a story. And it feels like they're doing that. And it reminds me of how New Bank in Latin America, I don't know if you've read that story, was banking with a hyper-focus on the customer and engaging with them in a human and frank way. And that's really what financial services needs, in my opinion. They clearly have shown how to do it. Their click-through rate is higher than that of dating apps. I mean, they, they seem to really <laughs> understand. Do you see also a flip side? So they have really understood how to speak with women in India. Now, when we look in a couple of years, when they may want to expand beyond India, how do you feel about whether their current approach needs to be reinvented again? because of the cultural differences, perhaps, with women in other geographies? Look, I think it depends on two things, right? One is the frameworks they've come up with. So, for example, the psychology tests that they've developed, it, does it rest on some principles that can be applied across markets? That's number one. And secondly is the execution of the go-to-market strategy. To me, there is a lot of potential. The start has been amazing. They've acquired a lot of customers. They're seeing traction but it's all going to come down to scalability. And scalability rests on flawless execution of the go-to-market strategy. So if they're able to do these two things well in a market like India, which is highly complex, huge, and hard to navigate, 
I have some level of confidence that they may be able to take that model to other markets as well. But again, yeah. it is to be seen. Yeah. Uh, India in itself already has so many different cultures and, and languages and values. Exactly. Uh, it, is, it is one country, but in itself, you can split it up. I totally see your point. If we if we zoom out a little, given your expertise in the fintech space, what are trends that you see that SALT is riding on? Yeah, I think the couple of trends that I covered earlier, one is the need for investing money. I think that's an overall trend that you're seeing in a rising middle-class market like India, not just with women, but with men as well. I think there's a high complexity and lot of products out there, but very little understanding around how to do that. So there's a need. And then secondly, I think the market has not really cracked how to enable wealth management and investing with consumers who don't understand it well enough. It's an extremely personalized market in India. Like you have a friend of a friend who is an insurance agent who can come and present a bunch of products to you and you sort of sign up on faith. There's really very little education happening. And so there's a huge gap there as well. And I feel like having a product which is doing that education, understanding the customer, and then enabling scalability through technology will be the game changer. So that hunger is there in the market, but it's not really being fulfilled right now. And I think that's a cool trend that you see as well, that the rise of tech I mean, if we wanted to buy shares a couple of years ago, it was super complicated. You had to go to a banker, which you don't have as a normal person. <laughs> and really yeah. a lot of effort to just buy a share. Right now, we just take out our phones and for $5, we can buy a fractional share and whatever we want. And so that all became more and more accessible. That's one of those big trends. And it's it's only increasing because of the rise of the middle class, as you mentioned, Tasneen. And so that's just going to be more. I think the other part, what we see is specifically around women is women want to be more independent. Women are more, more part of the workforce. That's an increase that you see all around the world. And with that comes some independence and like, hey, I can control my own salary, right? And of course, it's all for the household, what you're doing it for. But it's also just keep that own independence, keep that knowledge so that whatever happens one day, you are an independent woman who can take care of her own finances. That's a great point. Yep. Hey, lastly, you're an investor, so you're interested about the exit potential, of course. What do you think about the strategies that Aditi saw? Look, I think IPO is to be seen, but de again, depending on the traction that they have, I'm fairly confident that they'll have acquisition interest. So if they're able to build out a large enough consumer base, if their product is differentiated enough, which it is it's already on the journey to do so. There are banks who are focused on the female segment, not doing that well, but focused on it. There are other fintech companies as well. So to me, it feels more likely that an acquisition is possible at this point. I mean, if they do really well in India and they enter other markets, perhaps an IPO as well. But acquisition, no doubt, it is definitely on the radar for them. Yeah, with the low yeah. burn that they have under 100K, as she said, and the yeah. low, I think that is uh, very attractive. Yeah. yeah, and I also think indeed it's the network that they have with the three co-founders. It's super deep into the whole financial world. They have the relationships already. I think that helps as well if you want to be an acquisition candidate. Yeah, and the cap table is amazing too. I mean, some of the people who have invested in the company 
are probably some of the most preeminent names in fintech in India. So really well networked. So that also is a positive. Yeah. Especially in India, isn't it? Networking. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Thank you, Tasneen, for your view. We really appreciate it. It's always lovely having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Hester and Micah. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website at epicangelnetwork.com.